Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would uh, add your blessing to the reading and proclamation of your word. Help us to be content in uh, the circumstances and providence that you have placed us in, especially as we love the Lord Jesus and in so doing incur the wrath and hatred of the world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the candidates for president recently spoke about religious persecution in America at one of the campaign events. And the candidate said, These threats have been growing. They have been growing for decades, but never have the threats been greater to our religious liberty than they are right here and now today. The threats are not imagined. They're not made up. These are real people leading real lives who found themselves facing persecution simply for living out their faith. There is a war on faith in America today. What do you think about that statement? Is it accurate? Or is it a campaign speech that exaggerates the situation in order to get people all riled up and ready to give their money into his campaign coffers. Well, the campaign uh, event featured several citizens who had faced consequences of, of uh, upholding their Christian beliefs. Some of these people who were at this event lost their jobs. Others had uh, had uh, their businesses uh, vandalized. Still others were forced to close their business. So it's safe to say that there is evidence at some level of the persecution of Christians taking place in America today. Just how deep and how wide is that persecution? What the candidate was specifically pointing out was how our society is becoming less tolerant of religious freedom. And on that point, he is absolutely correct. The homosexual marriage issue and the government mandates regarding health care and Christian businesses are just two of the examples of how our society is becoming less tolerant of religious freedom, specifically Christian religious freedom. The word persecution conjures up images of violence against individual Christians and churches. This is not happening, at least on any recognizable scale. But many would argue that our society, by becoming less tolerant of Christianity, is planting the seeds of violence against Christians in the succeeding generations. Right now, Christians are experiencing at the most, it seems to me, bullying by our society and by some sectors of our national government. So then the question is, 
Why is this happening? We have a Bill of Rights as part of our constitutional system of government. The very first amendment of the Bill of Rights states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition government for redress of grievances. Our government should not have any interest in bullying Christians. Rather, because of the First Amendment, the government should be first in line to protect our rights as the government is answerable to the Constitution. There are very many reasons why our society is becoming less tolerant of Christianity and uh, also why, many reasons why our government is willing to downplay the First Amendment protections that are offered or afforded to Christians and to, to, frankly, all religions. In other words, we should expect that the world would hate us uh, as Christians specifically. And we're going to look at five reasons why we should expect that the world will hate us. So uh, the first of these reasons is found in verse 18 and also in verse 20. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 18, If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You will remember that the larger context for this uh, this passage began way back at John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Remember that? What He's doing is He's comforting His disciples. And so here in our passage this morning, He's continuing to comfort His disciples by speaking the truth to them about their future ministry. He knew His disciples would face tremendous hostility. If we were to look into the first four chapters of, of, I'm sorry, first four verses of verse 16, we would see some, some of the specifics. We'll see that, Lord willing, next week. But he knew his disciples were going to face tremendous hostility. He knew that most of his disciples would end up being killed because of their witness for Christ. The reason that they would suffer is that He was sending them out to proclaim Christ to a Christ-hating world. So Jesus told them, because the world hates Him, the world will necessarily hate them as well. So the world's hatred, because it still hates Christ, also extends to us. We're not above our Master. They persecuted Him, therefore we should also expect some level of persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The persecution may not be violent. It may take the form of indifference to Christ. 
or you might begin being avoided by your co-workers or by your neighbors because they know you're a Christian. Sometimes it might be a little more stringent. Sometimes maybe somebody will get in your face. Uh, Maybe they will begin to misrepresent you, misrepresent your motives. That's what happened to the early Christians because the Christians got together for what they called a love feast, which was their communion meal and their worship. Uh, They were accused of of, uh, incest and all forms of debauchery. But at some level, we should expect some form of persecution if we are seeking to live for Jesus Christ. It appears to me that if a Christian should question why he or she should be made to suffer for Christ, and they are saying, God, it's not fair that I'm suffering for Christ. Well, that person, it seems to me, is lacking humility. Because who are we to say that we are above our Lord? He suffered because the world hated Him. The world will hate us as well. So he says in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. On an encouraging note, we should not think that the world's hatred is aimed at us personally uh, on the basis of who we are ourselves, but is simply an extension of their hatred for Christ. The second reason why we should expect that the world will hate us is because Jesus called us out of the world. Look at verse 19. He says, If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Essentially, Jesus is saying in verse 19 that the the church and the world are mutually exclusive. Jesus chose us out of the world. We used to be part of the world. Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the power of the spirit of the air who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all too lived among them, Paul says. But Jesus called us out of the world. And when we came to Christ we were taken out of the world's flow. Whereas we were in the world's flow, now we're going against the current. Swimming upstream, if you will. We're out of step with the world. By definition, the Christian is different than the world. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? is warfare with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever wishes to do the will of God 
or whoever does the will of God abides forever. This Greek word for the church literally means the called out ones. The Greek word for church, uh, ekklesia, is a compound Greek word. Ek meaning from or out of. Kaleo means to call. And so we are called out from the world. The church is a collection of called out ones. We no longer belong to the world. We've been called out of the world. We now belong to Jesus. And for this, we earn the world's hatred. The world resents any lack of conformity unto itself. When Jesus uses the word world, He's not speaking of all individuals. He's not speaking of the collection of individuals. He's using it in a technical term. He's speaking of the world system. The world system as it is the expression of human depravity. The world system is at war against God and against His righteousness. It expresses itself in raw secularism, in greedy materialism, and in self-seeking unrighteousness. And because all individuals who are outside of Christ uh, belong to this system, they evidence these things um, to some degree, but it is a real degree of hatred toward God and the things of God. And, by extension, the people of God. The world system wants to live without the constraints of God's righteousness. So when the world promotes the alternative lifestyles that are patently unbiblical, and Christians are hated when they stand up and lovingly insist that God says this is wrong. I especially want to address our teenagers this morning for a couple of moments. Teens, do I have your attention? You're living, living in this society means that you will face enormous peer pressure to conform to the world's standards. Many of your friends will be obsessed with the subjects of sex. They will talk of it as if it is the expectation to have sexual relations outside the marriage relationship. To say that you're going to pursue sexual purity will be mocked. To listen to your parents and submit to their authority over you will be mocked. To say no to drugs or alcohol or cigarettes may also be mocked. You're going to feel the continual pressure to conform, to conform, to conform to the world. Follow God. Trust in Christ. He will help you overcome those temptations. He'll help you overcome the world. John 16:33, Jesus said, "In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." So teens, young people, no matter how difficult it may see, and it may seem very difficult the pressures, the peer pressures that you, you face.
trust in Christ. He is overcome. He will help you to overcome as well. And Christians, young or old, Christ shows you to be a city that can be seen from miles around. You are a city set on a hill. Your life is to shine for Jesus Christ. Christ chose you to be different from the world. Let me read it again. He says at the end of verse 19, I chose you out of the world. He chose you out of the world to be different from the world, so don't conform to the world. The third reason why we should expect that the world will hate us is because the world does not know the Father. Look at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of My name. Why? Because they do not know Him who sent Me. Also, verse 23, Whoever hates Me hates My Father also. So this third reason that we should expect that the world will hate us is because the world does not know the Father. And I'm going to make this point briefly. Rejecting Jesus is a rejection of God. And we need to make this clear to people. Because all the public opinion surveys say that most people believe in God. Of course, those percentages go down further, much further when it talks about Jesus. But uh, if they do not love, trust, and submit to Jesus Christ, they do not know God. doesn't matter how strongly they insist that they believe in God. And that they're spiritual, people like saying that this, these days. If they do not know, love, and, and submit to Jesus Christ, they do not know God. D.A. Carson was especially helpful to me on this point. He said that human beings are supposed to know God. We are created in His image. And enough of God's nature and character has been stamped upon us, stamped in our conscience, so that we are eternally without excuse. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see a broken image of God, but the image of God nonetheless. When we look at the creation... We see His glory. We are without excuse for someone to doubt God or to be ignorant of Him is a sign of their rebellion to Him. And Carson continued, to be ignorant of God is morally reprehensible. For that ignorance testifies to a moral alignment with evil, self-love, and darkness. Then the fourth reason why we should expect that the world will hate us is because we, we expose the world's sin. Look at verse 22. Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Christ was hated. He was put upon the cross, not because of the miracles of healing that He performed, not because of His feeding the 5,000, not because of His love that He exuded every day that He was here on this earth. He was hated because He was sinless and He was glorious. His sinless life exposed the unrighteousness of the Jewish religious leaders. And they hated Him. And they were continually plotting to see how they could get rid of Him. In our lives, as we increasingly conform to Jesus Christ, exposes the unrighteousness of the world 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 16, says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved, and the aroma of death to those who are perishing. To the, once a fra- to the one, a fragrance of death to death, to the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? As you live for Jesus Christ, as you love Him, at the very same time that you are a witness to someone that might draw them to Christ, you are repelling someone else because they are seeing their sin in the mirror of your righteousness as as it reflects Jesus Christ and they are repelled. So wherever you go, You're a fragrance of life to those who are being saved, a fragrance of death to those who are perishing. One of the kids in my church in South Carolina was homeschooled all the way through high school. And he received an appointment to the Naval Academy for college. He graduated with honors from the Naval Academy, and he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So he went uh, to the BUDS training. He was the top performing officer in the BUDS training. I performed his uh, brother's wedding, what, five or six years ago. And he, he was there, the, um, his older brother who went through the, the BUDS training. And he had just finished, and I asked him, uh, I said, what did you hate most about the training? He said, I loved every bit of it. And he excelled all the way through the, the Navy SEALs BUD training. But when it came time for selection, he was refused. And the reason he was refused was because he didn't go out drinking and partying with the other SEALs. He didn't feel like that was morally proper to do. He felt like it was not a good witness to his faith in Jesus Christ. And so it was his commitment to Christ that cost him his uh, his uh, appointment to the SEALs. Because the uh, the Navy said that his commitment to Christ would hinder his commitment to his brothers in arms as a seal. Of course, he would argue otherwise. He would say it would strengthen his commitment to them. But uh, he is attached to them as a signals coordinator you know, for communications, but he's not a seal. Um, The fifth reason why we should expect that the world will hate us is because, well, there's not really a good reason why they should hate us. What I mean is, uh, look with me at verse 25. Jesus says, But the the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This is, uh, I think, Psalm 36 or thereabouts. that, he, that Jesus is quoting here, and he's saying they hated me without a cause. In other words, there was no good reason for them to hate me. And the same applies to us as we are following Jesus Christ, seeking to love our enemies, seeking to um, 
to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, to make others more important than ourselves, to love our neighbors as, our, as ourselves, to love each other in the, the body of Christ more than we love each other, to love each other in the body of Christ, remember from last week, uh, as Christ, uh, as, as, uh, as the Father loved Christ. You know, there's no good reason, unless of course we make a reason. Peter says, you know, if if, if you're going to suffer for Christ, um, don't make it for unrighteousness. Don't don't sin against other people and suffer, but but uh, love Christ. And Jesus is essentially saying here in verse 25, there's no good reason uh, for the world to hate us. But at the same time, this passage actually gives us the ultimate reason why the world is going to hate us. The ultimate reason why the world is going to hate us is God has sovereignly ordained it. The hatred of the the world fulfills the Word of God. Remember in Acts chapter 4 where uh, it says that uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders, they they did to Jesus as God had foreordained would happen when they put Him on the cross. They hated Jesus and it was foretold in Scripture. The early church knew that uh, God had sovereignly ordained it. And so it's not surprising to God that the world hated Jesus. It was all part of God's plan. You know, it feels like things are kind of out of control in our country. Um, Our future seems uncertain. It appears that greater persecution is right around the corner. All of this is part of God's plan. Why it's happening? Don't ask me. I don't know. But God knows. So take heart, Christian. Everything is in God's hands. You are in God's hands. Your circumstances are in God's hands. And then I'm going to try and finish real quickly, but uh, verses 26 and 27, this is, uh, these are the money verses. So you don't want to miss out on this. Verse 26 and 27, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with Me from the beginning. We must expect that God will use our suffering and our persecution at the world's hands in order that we might be witnesses for Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in verses 26 and 27. God has not simply left us in the world to endure hatred. We endure suffering for Christ and trust Him in the midst of it. When we do that, we are a shining witness of the glory and love of Jesus Christ. And here's the really good news. You're not alone when you're suffering for Christ. Or when you are uh, needing to open your mouth and speak to your neighbor or speak to someone about Jesus Christ, you're not alone. Look who's with you. Verse 26. You have a helper. The helper, Jesus says, is the Spirit of truth. Why is He called the Spirit of truth rather than the Holy Spirit here? Because it's truth that needs to be coming out of your mouth. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to help you do. He's going to help you speak the truth to them in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the possible persecution. 
He will make you a powerhouse for Christ. You're not alone when it comes to sharing your faith. You're not alone when you are being hated for Christ's sake. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's your helper. He's your comforter. We're going to hear a lot more about Him in chapter 16. You are never alone when you witness for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that You would help us to be powerhouses for Christ by the power of Your Spirit at work within us. Help us to endure endure hardship and suffering, even persecution, for Your name's sake, because we are followers of Jesus Christ, because He suffered and was hated, We expect it. We may not like it at the time, but help us to trust You through it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.